Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on Tap, we have 500 Days of Summer, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel, directed by Mark Webb. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films as we unveil another cask in our series of reviews. This one titled, Love is Spelled with an X, E-X. Talking about bad exes and bad breakups. This theming cask is going to be very interesting to say the least, Matt. Yeah, so taking this and launching it with a bit of a quirky twist, if you will, on the romantic comedy. And there's nothing wrong with those either. Mm-hmm. But something that's maybe a little bit more clever and not quite so formulaic as boy meets girl in the meet cute, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back, fade mm-hmm. to black. This usually is the growth of some failure and then in a clever way presented as either male or female sort of reimagines themselves as a much more likely and uh, expensive, if you will, desired free agent of love. I'm Damn. actually really looking forward yeah, to Yeah, me, me too, especially in the last couple of weeks, we've been blowing it up with huge, big budget, tentpole films. We'll get back to that because now is the time is the season. Indeed. So we'll get back to that. But it's going to be nice to kind of pedal back a bit with some films and maybe some that you haven't seen before, uh, especially starting with 500 Days of Summer from 2009. And we were pretty hard on Mark Webb two weeks ago in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, rightly so. That's a pretty atrocious film. Go back and listen to that review. But uh, here he's kind of clicking in in his wheelhouse in uh, a project that really suits him. But before we get into that, a, a little bit of housekeeping, you know, we'd like to thank all the listeners who have, you know, jumped on, you know, at various points, those that are loyal listeners listening to every episode. We appreciate that. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, YouTube, you know, it's a YouTube video that has our audio through it, Stitcher, Radio, and TuneIn. So whatever your preferred site is, there's a chance we're probably on it. Whether you're an Apple user or a Google user, you like to listen to your car, you like to listen at work, there's probably a home for you there. So thank you for that. And we're getting some really interesting viewers and listeners, I guess not viewers, mm-hmm. some listeners yeah. in some very unique places. Like to say this is global sounds a little silly, but mm-hmm. in fact, yeah. it has kind of gone that way. Yeah. And from the grassroots beginnings to where this began to where you all have taken us, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's pretty remarkable that it's just Jesse and I and our voices that have now gone out to, it's a pretty big number, guys. Yeah. We'll have to give that here in a couple of weeks. I think it might be shocking to mm-hmm. some of you. Yeah, so... Here we go, and today we're drinking a classic, and this one's kind of been in our wheelhouse for many years, and it's Basil Hayden's, and it's hard to really go wrong with this one. For a $40 bottle of bourbon, I don't know if you can do much better. Mm -hmm. When it came to like good bourbon, not I'm a young guy just trying to find cheap bourbon, this was sort of the first thing that I came to when I realized that as much as I like Gentleman Jack, Mm -hmm. there was better. Mm Mm-hmm. And the thing about Basil Hayden is it goes down smooth and it's memorable and it's clever. And I specifically wanted to bust this out for this movie because I think in a lot of ways mm-hmm. it's like the film. This is, for me, mm-hmm. top three of my all-time favorite bourbons. Mm-hmm. We have tried some Pappy Van Winkle as well together. Yep. We have been down that road as well. Yep. But Basil Hayden, I don't know if you can go wrong for the the price um, it's smooth on the front end. It's got a little bit of kick on the back end. And I love the design of the bottle. Yeah. Like this kind of like paper jacket, you know, wrapped around the, the wooden label here. It's 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 nice to look at too. A little rustic and simple, but classy. Mm-hmm. 
Kind of like you. Yeah, thank you, Matt. You're welcome. <laughs> Cheers to that. So here we <laughs> we'll go. So, so, so let's go. Let's get let's get started. So for the flight this week, you know, thinking about 500 days of summer, as we're going to discuss, 500 days of summer features a very amazing musical sequence, kind of in the middle of the movie, to the song uh, "You Make My Dreams Come True" uh, by Hall and Oates of of, of of all bands. It's, it's kind of a very interesting song. But the, its place in the movie makes that scene all the more memorable. Yeah. So there's been a lot of great music uh, used throughout film throughout uh, throughout the years. So my question to you, Matt, is what's the best use of a song in a film? That sounds like an impossible question, but do your best to answer it. This is hard for me. Um, I wanted to just name the whole movie Singles. Yep. As a proud member of Gen X, mm-hmm. that movie definitely holds a place for me that's of tremendous importance. Mm-hmm. But you can't really say that sequence because that's the whole 90 minutes of that film. <laughs> yeah. And it's Cameron Crowe and we don't talk much about him anymore, sadly, do we? Yep. We bought a zoo. We might have to do a cask on him sometime. Yes. <laughs> what happened to Cameron Crowe? Yeah. Okay. So with all that, it's actually from Almost Famous. If any of you have uh, ever watched the behind the scenes information on that film, it's mm-hmm. really remarkable what actually Cameron Crowe did to sort of put that together. Uh, Jason Patrick, not Jason Patrick, Jeff... Um, Jason Lee, mm-hmm. Billy Crudup, mm-hmm. Francis McDormand, Kate Hudson, Kate Hudson, Philip Seymour Hoffman, rest yeah. his soul. Yep. They created a band mm-hmm. that has a very southern, rocky, mid seventies feel to Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, there you go. To Philip Seymour. Yeah, that one, that one, that one, that one hits me right here. Oh, no, yep. that's a shame. Before the devil knows you're dead, brother. Mm-hmm. I hope they never found you. Yep. Anyway. Um, they took these guys with the help of Peter Frampton and Nancy Wilson, who at the time was Mary Cameron Crowe's Crow. wife, mm-hmm. and they taught these these actors how to be rock stars. Literally mm-hmm. had rock school. That's cool. And you get Fever Dog and the, the song. Okay, so all of that mm-hmm. plays out in the movie, I think, really well. Mm-hmm. That movie's very highly decorated. Oh, yeah. Probably his most decorated film. Uh, rightly so. Yeah. Okay, so in that movie... Billy Crudup as Russell Hammond goes off the rails at one point, mm-hmm. does a bunch of acid, calls himself a golden god. Yeah. The band has a bit of a falling out over ego, essentially. Yes. It's kind of a theme throughout the film. Yep. And the band rescues him in the bus, which is called Doris. And the music that heals them mm-hmm. is Tiny Dancer by Elton John. Mm-hmm. It's weird because I like that song. I can't tell you that I love that song. Mm-hmm. I like that song. Mm-hmm. It can never be as loud or sound as clear in my car yeah. as it does with the members of Stillwater on that bus. Yep. It's strangely uncanny mm-hmm. in a sense that that movie does it better yeah. than I can do. And I've tried. Yeah. I mean, I haven't had a group of people that are infighting, going through some, mm-hmm. you know, jonesing over like an LSD trip yeah. and arguing about that. So maybe there's that not working for me the way it does in the film. But it doesn't matter in my car. I still like the song, but I can't get it to the same level of affection yep. I have in Almost Famous. Mm-hmm. So for me, Tiny Dancer from Almost Famous. Oh, that's that's a good one. That was that was one I toyed around with choosing. Yeah, it's 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 legendary, and you just want to be in a car with like some buddies, you know, driving and just kind of just wail on that song at the top of your lungs. Like it has that type of power to it. I think it may be even a little bit more so than like Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, no question. There's something about the the kind of slow melodic piano that Elton provides in. And then when he hits the, the, the chorus line, like uh, it's great. I love it. And it's brilliant in that scene. So before I let you answer your flight, I got to give you this question. Okay. 
knowing what you know about the Elton John movie that's coming, Rocket Man, yeah. compared to Bohemian Rhapsody, which one of those do you? I don't say which one do you want to see more because I've already seen Bohemian mm. Rhapsody. Yeah. But let's assume you go back to sure. Like I snap and I take you back to yeah. I just quantum realmed you <laughs> oh. back to pre Bohemian Rhapsody. Damn. Which one do you want to see more, Bohemian Rhapsody or Rocket Man? Oh man, um. What Rocket Man really has going for it, and I think this is actually going to help it off in the long run, is actually the lead actor, Taron Egerton, mm-hmm. is actually singing mm-hmm. Elton's songs. Right. Um, hard to replicate Freddie Mercury's very unique set of vocals. So it's going to have that much more authenticity. And I think there's more of a propensity in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody to really tell the PG-13 version. Which, no such PG-13 queen film, Jesse. Yeah, which was what well, we don't want to see. And I don't think they're going to do that. Paramount is actually letting them playing a, li- a little loose with the content of this one. Good. So, and I think Elton's behind it as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I think Rocket Man's got a lot in its corner. I'm actually looking forward to seeing it. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. So, yeah, that's coming up in a few in a few weeks here. Okay. So your flight. All right. Uh, almost a tiny dancer, but I had to go to another one, and it's the actually the intro song to a movie from 1979. So you got to take it back to 79 and we start with whirling choppers. And if you have a surround sound system, it is the coolest effect. And more on that here in a second. But it's the opening to Apocalypse Now and the use of the end by the doors. And this is the end. Mm -hmm. Beautiful friend. Like, you know, first of all, the doors as a band are not for everybody. I totally understand that. And Apocalypse Now as a film is not for everybody. Like, those are two very things that you have to have a palette for. I myself have a palette for both of them, like strongly. So when that film starts up with the whirling choppers and the Jim Morrison's vocals and just the laying down of the napalm. I think you really get it. You know, the doors represent that, that type of, you know, you know, pushback counterculture movement of the late sixties, early seventies. And I think their music as a whole really fits, you know, the theming of Vietnam and, you know, Francis Ford Coppola actually wanted to use all of their music throughout the entire movie and they couldn't do that. So you had to settle on this one song, but it's a hell of an opening no and doubt. real quick on the surround sound, this was actually the first film. Francis Ford Coppola invented 5.1 surround sound with this film. It's the first film that didn't have a left and a right stereo. Interesting. He had a left and a right, a center, and back speaker. So when that chopper rolls around, it starts in the front and then makes its way around you. Cool. To create an effect that the theaters weren't even equipped to handle it. They had to build new sound setups. That's awesome, and it's on full display in that scene. If you haven't seen it, just YouTube it. It's on there. Check it out. Yeah, that is a great opening to film. That's really terrific. Mm-hmm. Those are two solid entries. And I think it, it echoes the madness, too, of uh, Martin Sheen as Captain Willard as he's you know in his drunken stupor punching the thing. And we see it, it's it's actually Captain Willard's end because he's about to descend into an, all, an unimaginable hell. Mm-hmm. And they just they parallel each other so well. That's my pick. I, I I love that intro. Close second for me mm. was Wind Beneath My Wings in Beaches. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, that, that, that's pretty good. Let us know what, what you think and uh, send us an email at risemileproductions at gmail.com. We'd love to hear those responses or message us on Facebook or Instagram. 
But Matt, let's get to what we're here for. Let's break it down. Let's get to our review of 500 Days of Summer. Tom meets Summer on January 8th. He knows almost immediately she's who he's been searching for. This is a story of boy meets girl. But you should know up front, this is not a love story. 500 Days of Summer opens with the brilliant use of kind of the writers talking directly to the audience. And do you want to speak on that a little bit, Matt? This is called The Fourth Wall. And it's a really clever way of breaking it down and letting the audience be part of the story that's being told to them. Mm -hmm. Usually we're either omniscient or third person, omniscient, occasionally first person. In fiction, maybe not documentary. Mm -hmm. This does a different thing in so far as the narrator is directly addressing you and in fact warns you in the credits that this is not a love story. Mm -hmm. Tells you this is coming to a terrible end Yep, and... Uh, buckle up yeah that's that's great it's it's not your typical type of romantic comedy which for the most part really kind of like i'm not i'm not into that so i like the unorthodox approach to that this specific genre which is why i really end up really liking this film and i like how they play fast and loose with the rules of storytelling right with the writers saying except for you bitch like at the beginning, really calling out. Maybe I've never researched it, but I wonder if that girl's name that's at the beginning is actually one of the exes of one of the writers. Oh, that'd be terrific. And if it was. he's really calling calling her out, and this is like his like spotlight to do so. I don't know how you get away with that without getting like sued or like, yeah, like blasting of public image. But it's not the last time we're gonna get this breaking of the fourth wall. Later on in the film, uh, we get these nice moments from Tom played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's talking directly to the camera, talking about what, what he loves about Summer. And he's like, I love her eyes. I love their smile. I like that, her little birthmark that's shaped like a heart. I love I love the way she sleeps and this and that. And he's speaking directly to us. She's like the wind. Yeah. It's 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 great. And then we see the parallel of that later, which um, we'll, we'll get into how that breaks down. So that fourth wall that gets broken down in this film is done, as you said, mm-hmm. with Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Tom mm-hmm. Hansen speaking to the camera. Mm-hmm. It's also a really interesting bit that they do with color. Yes. A lot of times they'll take away, strip the color out of it, mm-hmm. and just use black and white. Yep. And one of my favorite sequences in that scene, in that movie is the testimonial sequence, which is Tom and all of the people in his periphery mm-hmm. speaking to the camera on what they think love is. Yeah. And... It's pretty clever insofar as it's a narrative without a narrative. And because this movie, and we'll get into this for mm-hmm, sure, mm-hmm. is out of sequence, I yeah. think it's a good opportunity for the watch, the the audience, mm-hmm. to get their feet back underneath them and kind of get their wind back for like the final act that's about to happen. Yeah. Now let's talk about the sequencing because right away I'm like, oh my God, did, did Christopher Nolan or Tarantino make uh-huh. this film? Because... They, they have a nice plot mechanism to keep you grounded, which is labeling each one each day that you're in until you get through all 500 of them. Not individually, because that would be insane, but like the moments that matter. We actually start with day 488. 488. Which is, I think, a pretty loaded scene that doesn't say anything. And it's actually them sitting at a park bench at Tom and, uh, and Summer. Angeles Plaza. Mm-hmm. And it's a it, he, there, he gives her a, a very loaded glance, and you don't know why it's so intense and why it means so much until the end of the film when we revisit day 40, 488. Yeah, there's not a word spoken between the two of them. Mm-hmm. He's obviously upset about something, and she seems to be maybe at peace. 
And mm-hmm. there's that really great moment where his hand is on the bench mm-hmm. and her left hand goes on top of his hand and you see the wedding ring on her finger. Mm-hmm. And you don't know, maybe this is the end for them or maybe this is, um, you know, like this marriage is dissolving before our eyes. Yeah. But with the title of the film, 500 mm-hmm. Days of Summer, if we start on 488, yeah. we do get a book ending effect. Yeah. Now, here's what's careful about this or mm-hmm. what, they're, what they're clever to not screw up in mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. I think in the last couple of weeks we've talked ad nauseum yep. about the prequel effect and what that does. Definitely. The anticlimactic effect of prequels. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do that inside a film, mm-hmm. I'm already a little bit hesitant to believe your story because you know that I'm not a fan of that. And I think we've laid out the case. Yep. This movie is that. Mm-hmm. This movie is a lot of prequel, but it's prequel within the same story. So if traditional storytelling is beginning, middle and end. Yeah. And then we can break it down with the beats. Yeah. Citing incident. Turning point, blah, 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 blah. We'll get into that at some point. Mm-hmm. And you just mix those up. Yeah. You still have one story. It's just told out of sequence. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite as detrimental to the reveal as it might be in, like, well, again, in an in-game sort of quantum realm way. Yeah, and I think uh, it's, you know, seeing it out of sequence lends to a certain type of viewing experience that you're seeing things out of, almost like in a photo album, kind of all fragmented out of place. It's all mishmash. And I think if you were to watch this film in sequence, I don't think it would leave the same lasting effect on you. Much like if you saw Memento, Memento exactly. in order, I think it would kill that movie, actually. Right. So, no, it's it's a real unique uh, plot mechanism that they, that they do. And then we go from 488 to day number one. And this is Tom meeting Summer, and we're being led the way by this narrator. And the one line that I really want to point out is Tom's ideas of love stem from a few things, but one was a total misreading of the film The Graduate. Hmm, I wonder if that's foreshadowing for something. Interesting. That yeah. That showed up again. Can I say something about that? Though? Go ahead. I think they both misread The Graduate. Mm-hmm. We've spent a lot of time with that film. Yep. Have you ever wanted to cry at the end of that film? No. And I, well, I want to break this down a little bit later because I have a theory on this. Mm-hmm. Um, because for many years, when Summer breaks down in the viewing of The Graduate, mm-hmm. as, as I play Tom in my mind, as I become Tom in the movie, mm-hmm. I always think to myself... Man, it's time to get the hell out of Dodge. This chick is crazy. Mm -hmm. But in fact, and I think I can support this later, Mm -hmm. I think it's an admission Mm -hmm. to a sequence that's coming up here on day 28, Mm -hmm. where she begins the battle over what love is for Tom. Mm -hmm. And her crying, Jesse, I think is an admission Mm -hmm. that she knows he was right. Yeah. Because at the end of The Graduate, Mm -hmm. what's next? Exactly. Exactly. And Summer's having to face... Mm-hmm. It's the uncertain future. What's next? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll, we'll pick up with that a little bit later. But okay. Um, they both misread it. But again, the, the yeah. narrator saying, mm-hmm. hey, Summer's mm-hmm. not exactly the most ready to sit down, settle down, and have this long-lasting... But then also hinting at Tom that Tom saw The Graduate and was like, well, life's all about snatching up the one you love and running away together and you'll <laughs> live happily ever after. Which... Romanticizing love. Yes, exactly. Perfect. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So we cut to that to then day 290 mm-hmm. with Tom um, in his kind of initial, I want to call it a, a bit of an initial breakup or a dividing of the line with Summer saying we just need to be friends. Smashing plates and the only one, and I love this character too, that can come and kind of talk him down is his sister. Who's Little sister. Maybe 10 or 11. <laughs> yeah. But Chloe she's, Grace Moretz. Yeah. And she, but she's like wise beyond her years, like almost like the wise sage in this film, which is hilarious to say. 
But she's the one that's able to bring him down. <laughs> right. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, she walks in. His friends have called her. She's there. She was up in the middle of the night on her bicycle. And he's just shattering plates at the sink. Mm-hmm. Tom, put the plate down. Yep. She pours him a stiff glass of vodka, like stiff drink of vodka. Just yep. a tumbler yeah. full of vodka. Yeah. Um, for the listeners out there, let me tell you all. The place where the movie starts to go south for Summer and Tom's relationship mm-hmm. is on day 259. Okay, so if you're watching it, know when you hit day day two fifty nine. That's it has to do with a bar fight. Yep, that's when the relationship starts to go south on the two of them. Mm-hmm. So we're we're like thirty days after that. Yeah. So he's about about a month or so to process that. Mm-hmm. And I guess we can say he's not handling it well. No. Can I ask you a question about Tom in this film? Sure. <clears throat> if the title of the movie is Five Hundred Days of Summer, mm-hmm. and usually a character's name in the title of the film, yeah delineates who the protagonist or at least main character is and the antagonist Mm -hmm. is tom the protagonist or the antagonist in this movie i think he's the protagonist barely though right barely yeah because and we'll get to this also i think yeah does summer really ever do him that wrong in this movie no because i think it's how he perceives their relationship Mm -hmm. i think they're on two different roads going in two opposite directions and she's pretty clear with him about what this is to her, right? Exactly, yeah, very clear. And I think, you know, you know, Tom like is is very quick to not want that. And there's a scene later on where he says, damn it, like you don't you don't get to decide this. I get to have a say in what we're what this is. Same night two fifty nine, yep. right? That's mm-hmm. a, yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. I always just go back and forth in that. The title of the film, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, is the only one that I can come to that has a like Mm -hmm. trick title. Like, Mm -hmm. let's take Juno. Mm -hmm. Juno's about Juno. Mm -hmm. And forgettably, I hate that film, but the movie's about Juno. Shaft's about Shaft. Right? Yep. So, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance Mm -hmm. isn't actually really about the man who shot Liberty Valance. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's about Ransom Stoddard, which is Jimmy Stewart. Yep. But the the hero in that film... John Wayne. It's John Wayne, and he's the man who shoots Liberty Valance, but you don't find out till the end. Mm -hmm. This plays on the same idea. Yeah. Summer, by default, I guess, becomes the antagonist because she presents the obstacle that Tom's got to climb over. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're getting very basic with story here. Yeah. And that's a tough way to just put them in categories. Yep. I don't know if that's a fair category for him. She does do him a little bit wrong Mm -hmm. a bit later in the film, and I don't want to spoil it yet for the viewers. Yeah. But barely. Yeah. But barely. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Keep going. So we're on day. We're on day four. Where we? Where we're we back to day one now. Day one. So kind day of, one. Okay. Kind of starting where how he meets her. So Tom works at a greeting card company, and let's just call them Hallmark because it's kind of what it is. So he, he writes the little blurbs inside your greeting cards for anniversaries, birthdays, etc. Every day you make me a proud, but today you get a card. Yes, exactly. That's so good. Mm-hmm. But um, Summer um, Finn is actually a new um, admin assistant at this agency and Tom's just instantly like sh- stricken with her. And what I really like about these first few days, you know, day one, four, eight is kind of like, you know, in real life, how if you fall, mm-hmm. have a crush on someone, mm-hmm. how you kind of like try to like, you score it, make that first move. And so, like, we, right. s- we see that first one, that chance encounter in the elevator. We're like, I love the Smiths. He's like, he's like, he's like, what's that? He's like, I love the Smiths. And he's kind of, like, in shock. Oh, my God, she's here. She's talking to me. Jesse, that's just devastating for him. Yeah. Because he's pretty certain this time that the fates have aligned. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he meets this woman mm-hmm. in this elevator. Mm-hmm. And she knows and not only knows the song, but likes the same band that he happens to be infatuated with, which is a bunch of very sad breakup songs, mm-hmm. the Smiths. Mm-hmm 
having some cosmic significance. Yep. And the truth is, and I know you're guilty of this too, because I am. We all are. When we look back at our past relationships, maybe this is the nightcap question. Sure. Too. There you go. There are songs that we score relationships mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Like this song comes on the radio, and every time I have to turn it off because it reminds me of such and such, or this, or mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. It happens to him in day eight of what's going to be 500. Yeah. And it's just like, if you think about, there's nothing cosmic about knowing Mm. a particular Smith song. Yeah. Everyone knows the Smiths. Yeah. Who doesn't know the Smiths? Mm -hmm. And if you don't like learn Smith, Spotify that, come on. (laughs) But he looks at that like, Oh my gosh. Yep. It's almost as important as like, we're both wearing blue shirts today. Yes. It means nothing. Yeah. But to him, it means everything. No, it's, it's great. I just like the, the, the subtle, like trying to like, I'm going to go do this now or like I need to like implant kind of like you, you do in a real and when you're courting somebody if I use like such a medieval term but yeah. it's kind of that process and we get that again on day eight for Millie's engagement party where you know they finally get to have like an actual conversation right. about you know you know how long she's been you know living in Los Angeles I don't know why I always thought they lived in Toronto like what the hell was what the, what the hell was I thinking they, it takes place in Los Angeles <laughs> Jesus but Again, after this, we get day 154, and this is that fourth wall conversation we were talking about with where he's in love with Summer, talking directly to the camera. Again, not all films are really get allowed to like break the fourth wall like this. Think of Endgame and just kind of think if like Tony Stark or Cap or Thanos just like started talking directly to the audience. It would feel so out of place. It would feel weird that we had like kind of crossed into like some quantum realm. But in a film like this it it works it works well it's a nice mechanism to throw at the audience so to that example that you just gave i think when we did in game i said my sour mash would have been when they're doing tony stark's funeral procession Mm -hmm. or eulogy or funeral or whatever you want to call that yes all the characters show up and there's no reflection of stanley in the glass yeah that would be an example of breaking the fourth wall Mm -hmm. that is the director the studio giving a conscious nod to the viewer mm-hmm. to let them in. Nick Fury won't know that Stanley's in the glass behind him, yeah. but you and I and everyone in the theater will. Yeah. That's the example of like, if you're still not quite sure on this fourth wall deal, that's an example of breaking the fourth wall. Letting the <clears throat> the viewer mm-hmm. be part of the story yeah. as it's being told. Yeah, A little bit goes a long way in that regard. Exactly. Okay. So again, we're continuing on this road of courting. Day 22, Tom hits her with the great line. <laughs> She says, "Can I get any of you guys something from the from the the supply closet?" And he's like, "I think you know what I want." I think you know what I want. And he pauses for a bit because she's like, "Oh my god, what's he doing?" And he says, "Toner. I need. I need. I need toner." And his buddy Mackenzie is just dying at this yeah, point. Yeah. He watches the whole thing. You tool. Like, there's so, no way that's gonna work. Exactly. It's, Love it. It's so great. But then everything really kind of hits ahead here on day 28 when. Uh, his his buddy invites them all out to go do uh, uh, all you can karaoke is what they call it at the mill. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's a dangerous scene too, just because when they start flirting around with, you know, how do you define love or this and that or don't you believe in fate and destiny and everything? Tom dangerously, dangerously puts himself in the friend zone. So. You know, friend zone being like the danger zone, like in Top Gun, that like if you make that move where we're calling or labeling each other friends that that's like undateable territory unless you want it to be weird and he's like entering that territory Mm -hmm. but what else in that scene matt like 28 days in Mm -hmm. and he's pretty much been smitten with her since day one Mm -hmm. 
So his buddy McKenzie lets him know that they're having this party tonight at the mill. You want to go? He says, we're not going. Last time you almost got thrown out. You tried to fight the bartender. And he's like, no, no, no. It's a party thing. I know it's a party thing. We're not going. No, no, man. It's a work thing. So he talks him into it and they go. And we get a really important moment in that. Okay, so Zoe Deschanel sings Sugar Land or um, uh, Sugar Town. Mm-hmm. And then is that Peggy Lee? I think that's Peggy Lee, isn't it? If it is, I might be wrong on that. But um, So they're all kind of doing their little beat, their, their different songs. Uh, Just Gordon Lovin's got a nice bit by the Pixies. And we get a really interesting discussion at the table, which is Mackenzie asking Summer mm-hmm. if she's got a man. Yeah. And she's like, I don't want one. And he's like, are you a lesbian? Mm-hmm. Right. Giving her a lot of grief about this. And she says, love is a fallacy. It's an emotional overreaction in your brain. And if you look into the actually the bio biophysical or the physiological effects of love for the first six months of that period, mm-hmm. it actually has the same markers that drug addiction has in your brain. Your brain fires the exact same way. Oh, wow. I believe it's called the limerit period. Okay. Um, I could get into a story on how I know that one day, but it's from a script I wrote about a million years ago. And <laughs> I did some research on that, nice. but literally your brain releases the endorphins the same way a drug addict does. And that's why for those first six months, every breath you feel her in your lungs and this, right? Yeah. Okay. So summer says that's messy. That doesn't exist. It's a fallacy. Mm -hmm. We're too young. Relationships are messy. People's feelings get hurt. And Tom immediately is like roadblock. Just hit the wall. Cause the woman of his dreams in the moment has just said, I don't believe in love. Yeah. So here comes the crux of the film. This is the basic conflict in the movie. Mm -hmm. Is there such thing as true love? And how do you know when you found it? Summer says no, mm-hmm. as we'll find out later, mostly to keep herself safe. Yep. Tom also says yes, mostly to keep himself safe. Mm-hmm. So we have this squaring off of the two parties on the battlefield. There's no such thing as love. There's absolutely love. And fate will put you in the place. No, it won't. And the battle lines have been drawn between the two of them. And this discussion or this conflict between the two is going to carry for the duration of the film. So fate plays its hand in the very next scene when, you know, they're both copying and like out of a dream, she just like rushes up to him and just kisses him. And he's just left shell-shocked as I think we would all be in that moment to like kind of be like, you know, negate, uh, rejected and you're like, in this probably isn't going to work. And then suddenly that happens. And you're like, oh, maybe this will work <laughs> kind of a thing. I think it's easy to blame Summer for like being a tease or playing with him in this, but I don't think she's necessarily playing with him as much as she's just playing at love. Yeah. So remember when that mill scene ends on day 28, mm-hmm. he walks her out. Mackenzie says, he's really into you. Your buddy's just let the cat out of the bag. And Tom tries to walk it back. He's like, yeah, I mean, I guess I like you. And she says, look, we're just going to be friends. That's all I can offer you. Yeah. Weekend runs its course. Day 31, the scene you're just talking about at yep. the copy machine. She looks at him, walks up to him, plants one on him, and he is toast. Yeah. 
Okay, because for him, the song mm-hmm. and now the kiss, the stars have aligned. And this is supposed to be. Yeah. And he has found his the one. God bless him. He's, he con- he's get convinced. So from 31 forward, they kind of, till about 2, what did I say, 254? Mm-hmm. What did I say that day was? 259. 259. From about 31 to 259, things are mostly good. Yeah. Which, if you think about it, Jesse, mm-hmm. 30 to 259, what, that's 220 days? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, eight months-ish? Yeah. yeah. A little bit less than eight months? Mm-hmm. It's not a bad run yeah. for somebody that you just met. Mm-hmm. And so we see them, and we'll go over some of this just now, I'm sure. Yep. Kind of start to grow up but with the relationship, but not so much in a mature way. Mm-hmm. It's not a mature love. It's yeah. it's a playing house passion. Let's figure out what this means to be in love. It's kind perfect. Of thing. I'm glad you like. I, I'm glad you said you know playing house because that's exactly what they do at IKEA. Take it. Yeah. So you know we pick up with a, a parallel of two scenes actually, seeing day two eighty two and day thirty four. Shopping at Ikea. Isn't it brilliant? Real quick, I don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead, yeah. Isn't it brilliant the way Mark Webb does that? He'll give you the good and then immediately follows up with the same scene and the bad. Yeah. He's so good at it. Mm -hmm. And it keeps you grounded and remembering as if you're like, oh, this is what this is about. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, sorry, go. No, no, that's perfect. Is this the same guy that directed Amazing Spider-Man 2? Like, okay, you said it. I have to do this right now. Do it, right? I'm stealing your thunder and I'm I'm taking the words out of your mouth. Do it. Did he get Amazing Spider-Man 2? Because of Tom and Summer and 500 Days of Summer and their attempts to try to do Peter and Gwen. Yes, exactly. So yeah. I'm just going to say this. Yeah. What the fuck? Because then tell that movie. Yeah. Or tell that story in that movie. Because mm-hmm. that movie mm-hmm. is 15 other stories and mostly none of them are that. Yeah. Okay, I won't interrupt you anymore. No, yeah. Go, that, no, IKEA. That, that, no, that's perfect. Yeah, I was. it's curious, you know, how he that he was chosen. You know, his last name is Webb and, you know, Spider-Man has Webb. Like, whatever. But, you know, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they're shopping at IKEA, in, uh, playing house, you know, shopping for, you know, uh, you know, sinks and this and that. And then running into the into the bedroom and, like, making out. And he's like, there's a Chinese family in our bathroom kind of a thing. And they're watching, like, what is this? Again, like, when you're in that, like, newly... Uh, fresh relationship they, they call that they call it that they also call it the honeymoon phase yeah where you're just you can't spend a second away from each other and this is that like they really truly are into each other and you know you see that there and then when we switch to day two uh 82 he goes to reach for her hand you know uh, to to hold it and she pulls away she's not laughing at you know some of his jokes she's like real real um, like cold shoulder with him and it's really troubling to tom and that's just a few days from you know where it all kind of hits the fan where she gives him that 290 yeah they have this really great time at ikea doing all the things you said playing house Mm -hmm. and then he tries to recreate it or reenact it and she's just not having it anymore Mm -hmm. okay but let's go to the scene that you spoke about earlier that was the lead into the flight yes which is the flash mob, the conquering hero. Yeah, perfect. So between days three, 34 and 35, they consummate and, you know, they have sex for the first time. And this is such a monumental moment for Tom that he leaves his apartment the next day as like a born again man. Oh, it's so well done. And just like walking down the street with the stride again to the tune of Hall and Oates. He looks make... in the mirror and sees Han Solo who gives him the thumbs up and the nod like way to go. It's the conquering hero. And yes. also, Jesse, yes. with all due reverence, reverence mm-hmm. to the respect of those in our lives that matter yes we both know that feeling yeah it's 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 so good i'm gonna post a clip of this scene on on the facebook page so you all can see it because it's just it's just joyous you know everyone's in on it happy they're, they're high-fiving him they're like yeah man you 
go you like you win at life <laughs> you know what's a trip about that so yeah. when i watched this again mm-hmm. before this podcast yeah no joke on this mm-hmm. did you know everyone in the flash mob or all of the participants in that joyous event mm-hmm. behind him are in blue oh no every single one of them's in blue oh wow which is very interesting use of color and i, I is it so on the nose that blue mm-hmm. is where we're headed because he's it, it, I, Mark Webb had to have said, everybody put on a shade of blue in this. Mm-hmm. And it looks good for the choreographed bit because it sort of fits with like a color scheme. Yeah. I think there's more to it. Even the blue bird of happiness shows up. Yeah. Jesse. Like on his shoulder and like is on his finger. Yeah. It's perfect. It's all blue. But, and as that scene ends, as the elevator closes, the music ends and we're like thrown to day 303. And mm-hmm. the title cards actually do something pretty brilliant that. As we progress through the days, you can tell what kind of day it's going to be based on the, the, the drawing. The weather on the title card, right? Yeah, so it's very deteriorated. The, the tree's dead. The, the leaves are off it. <laughs> yeah. This is like as depressing as it's going to get for yeah, Tom, right. who in reality is an aspiring uh, architect who's settled on greeting card man. So he's not even living up to his full potential. And that's actually something that Summer has a problem with. That he could be doing more, but he's not doing enough with that. Yeah. I love that you said that. Mm -hmm. I love that you said he's settled. Mm -hmm. Because there's a sequence we'll get to later on when he leaves the job that I really want to point out that sort of backs this up even more. It's a good pickup by you. I think for all of the negative traits that we assign to Summer as the antagonist, she gives him the two most important gifts he needs going forward. The freedom Mm -hmm. or the courage to leave that dead end job and go do what you want to do, AKA mm-hmm. grow up. Yep. And then the closure at the park that he's going to need to move on, mm-hmm. AKA grow up. Yep. So for all of her traits that vilify her in this movie, in whatever sort of weird villainous way we've, we've, you know, kind of spoken of, but not this, not in this instance, it's like the two most loving things she could possibly do for this guy. Cause she's really mm-hmm. not a forever into him. Yeah. But she is a forever rescue him. Yeah. And maybe that's more important, Jesse. Because mm-hmm. she she's like that point you said, like, you know, why do something that can last forever, like build a building when you can make a card? Yeah. And he's because he's good at it, too. Mm-hmm. So he's stuck in kind of a dead end job and she's his escape. And here's the weird thing. As much as he tries to make maybe not weird, clever, mm-hmm. as much as he tries to make her his escape through love. Mm-hmm. She does end up being his escape, mm-hmm. but it's her, his escape through mm-hmm. maturation. Mm-hmm. She's, I think I like summer. No, she's great. I it's, really like summer. It's, it's Tom's ideology of what he wants that gets in the way. Oh boy. That's for sure. And they, they, they just can't meet at, at, at the same crossroads. You know, they're, they're, they're going two opposite directions the entire time. Right. This this film. So next we're at day 87. One of my favorites seems record store shopping and, you know, kind of going through the, the, the aisles here and there. And she says Octopus's Garden is her favorite Beatles song. Real quick, Matt, what's your favorite Beatles song? Because that's a freaking weird one. Blackbird. <laughs> Blackbird? Mm-hmm. I'm a in my life guy um, yeah. myself. God bless the Beatles. God bless the Beatles. Yeah. What would music be without them? Indeed. So, and goes as far as to say that Ringo is her favorite Beatle. And this this is kind of weird for Tom because you know it's like Ringo doesn't even think he's the, he's the best Beatle kind of a thing, right? But I want to talk about the narrator for a little bit because the narrator is 
really unique in that we don't know who's narrating the story. Like, and I don't, I don't know if that's the point that we're that we need to know who that is, but it's just interesting that he's getting a snapshot and lead, leading us in this journey. And I love how he does it on episode on episode on day one oh nine when he goes to Summer's apartment apartment yeah. for the first time, yep. and he says Tom wouldn't know that this is the first time that he would feel the walls coming down, right. that no one had ever made it this far. You know, almost kind of like like the Berlin Wall or something, like this unconquerable feat, and he's done it. And she tells him a story, too, and he's listening to her, and she says, I never told that to anybody before. And this is just fueled to the fire for Tom being like, man, I'm in. Yeah, we are together this, forever. This is it, yeah. Mm-hmm. like, But it's poison for Tom at the same time. It should give you pause, though, also, because Summer does give that up for the first time. So as much as I just said Summer gives Tom maturation and freedom, mm-hmm. he's also giving her confidence mm-hmm. to feel that she can trust in somebody. Because I'm going to take you back to another narrative part earlier, which is our first introduction to Summer as her at her vanity, oh, yes. looking in the mirror, and she cuts her hair mm-hmm. because she felt nothing and knew that it would grow back. Mm-hmm. So Summer has really walled herself off, I guess we assume from parenting of some terrible nature. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see what growth Tom is giving her, which is the ability to trust. And she has really kind of put her trust, and let's be frank about this, in a guy that's kind of an emotional hot mess. Yeah. He's kind of a baby, Jesse. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a couple times in this movie where if I was one of his friends and they sort of do this, I sort of want to tell him to man up. Yeah. Because he's just acting kind of like a baby. Yep. And there must be some good traits about him because she's offered up not only her apartment, but the inner sanctum of her Ringo Starr drawing and the stories of past conquests of former lovers, including the Puma and another another female, I forget her name, yes. the rower and all this other stuff. Tom's in. Mm-hmm. And I got to be honest, in that moment, I probably would think I was in too. Yeah. But that's what makes the tragedy, if you want to call it that film, this know, film so much better. No, definitely. So, you know, things progress, you know, nicely here in Los Angeles. You know, they're they're kind of living their lives. You know, the bits with the friends, I really I really like all of that. Yeah. But let's get to it. Let's get to the crux of the film, which is day 259. 259. Yo. How's it going? Uh, okay. You live around here? Um, yeah, not too far. Never seen you here before. You're not too observant. <laughs> It's funny. You're funny. So let me buy you a drink. No, thank you. You with this guy? Hey, I'm Tom. Whatever. So come on, one drink. What are you drinking? I said no thanks. You're serious. This guy. Like body. You know what? Don't be rude. I'm flattered, but I'm not interested. So why don't you go over there and leave us alone? Thanks. It's a free country. can't believe this is your boyfriend. <laughs> so Tom and Summer are at this bar, you know, just kind of, you know, having a night out. And this drunken guy comes up and starts hitting on Summer. And, you know, she's not into it. And she's trying to ward off his advances. And this guy's very persistent. But, you know, Tom's kind of, you know, he's not really saying any much he's kind of not butting in until the point where it gets too bad where he just gets up and clocks this guy one and it's it's hard because you know they leave immediately after but she's really troubled by his actions and 
kind of in my headspace, I would be, uh, I would have a problem too if 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 someone was you know mad at me. Like I'm only defending defending you. Like this this is kind of a bit of an issue for me. Look, there's certain things you know that are going to get you in a fight at a bar. Yeah. If you walk up to somebody and call a guy, excuse my language, you're a fucking pussy, it's on. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to fight. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And then you roll up on some guy's girl. Yeah. It's probably going to end up in a fight, yeah. especially with a few drinks in you. Yeah. So Tom does what every male worth their salt would do, Jesse. It's probably what I would do. Of course it is. With my temper, yeah. Or, or just, just being male. Yeah. If somebody rolled up on your other, yeah. I don't want to give her, well, Alyssa. Yeah. You, it's curtains for them, or at least it's going to try. Yeah. And she takes great umbrage mm-hmm. with him acting like such an asshole. And another, this is another moment where I think for the first time in the film, mm-hmm. we see him start to stick up for himself. You already said it earlier. Yeah. She basically kind of crucifies him back in her apartment, and mm-hmm. she's very offstandish and cold. Mm-hmm. And she gives him a line that basically says, you shouldn't have done that. We're not an official couple. We're not Facebook official or we're not official official. Yeah. And he says, well, God damn it. I say we are a couple and I have a say in the relationship too. That's not exactly it, but it's something like mm-hmm. that. And he throws something down and then storms out. Yeah. And it's the first time we see him in this movie mm-hmm. actually stand up to Summer. Mm-hmm. And it kind of works. Mm-hmm. Cause she comes to him later. She that comes night. back later that night and apologizes mm-hmm. and they spend the night in his, in his apartment that yeah. night, but in his apartment, mm-hmm. the walls have gone back up. Haven't they? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, this is a problem for yep. sure. We yep. start to see it kind of come apart. And then if we go back and put the puzzle pieces together, we see how we eventually get to day 290. Yep. Him smashing the plates and kind of being in the state that he's in. You know, it's interesting at this moment too. So I timed it out last night or two nights ago when I watched this film. Yes. That's the 45 minute mark of this movie in a 90 minute film. So the day two, as much as this is out of sequence, it meets the midpoint beat in screenplay and so i just want to take a minute yeah and recognize what outstanding writing mm-hmm. is in this film we don't talk about that a lot we talk about story a lot yeah but for these guys to craft this story in a way that is non-sequential mm-hmm. but has to be sequential in their their creation for it to have a close like an ending that we like or yeah. and, and fits the the bill of a good ending mm-hmm man at the 45 minute mark they still catch the beats and if you want to be honest about it mm-hmm. if you want to take Day 11, that's the inciting incident too, which is like the 10-minute mark in the movie. Like it, the beats, mm-hmm. the, the screenplay beats are still in place. Yeah. So at the 45-minute mark, we're on the second half of the film, and we're going to have a few good moments going forward, but mostly mm-hmm. everything he's worked for to that point, yeah, the, pacing, the reversal has happened. The pacing's perfect. It's it, it's it's brisk, and it keeps, and it'll go back and forth to kind of catch you up with the, like the future and then the past. I think brisk is a really great word for this. So the following scenes after this are really kind of Tom's aftermath, like from 290 kind of being summerless and trying to live his life and then i think a really brilliant bit you know they have this whole bit you know we've seen it three times you know once with vagina i want to talk about that but go ahead yeah vagina and then when they go see the graduate but then tom goes you know alone to, to to the movies as well and is that vagina when he's by himself no, it's those French films. Okay, but but what they take it from for the film nerds out there, the film aficionados, yeah. they're kind of ripping off films of Ingmar Bergman, mm-hmm. uh, Persona, and The Seventh Seal, where yeah. he's playing chess with with the thing. I thought that was that was a, a nice touch, but yeah, no one's ever really going to get that reference. You ever seen Persona? I have. It's it's actually really good. I love it too. Oh, yeah. It, it's yeah. Well, sh- I, to that to Persona, I have <laughs> to do this because. Yeah. So much of where I am and where I sit here today is 
the result of one man. Mm-hmm. And that man's name is Gus Blaisdell. Mm-hmm. God rest his soul. I never got the chance to tell him like how much that guy changed my life. Mm-hmm. But Gus Blaisdell sitting in a film theory class in college that was filling a fine arts requirement for something that was completely unrelated. Yeah. I sat there one day and I said, I think I want to do what this guy does. Yeah. And somehow I made that work. So Gus, I appreciate you so much. A retired math professor from Stanford mm-hmm. who moved who moved to uh, Little University of New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And uh, God bless you, Gus. Yeah. I appreciate you Excellent. so much. Yeah. It's like pulling out for me and my homies right there. Isn't it? There you go. So can we go to that vagina thing for a minute? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so it's really funny because any movie that's part vampire, part giant. Yes. Right? It's yes, stupid. it's hilarious. But what precedes that is them at the museum. Mm-hmm. And they're playing sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Like, we should appreciate this art. And literally, art is shit. And I mean that, literally. It's, it's, a, li- it's, it literally, a, it's a pile of shit. It literally is, right? <laughs> and they're like, it's so complex. And it says so much by saying nothing in this whole deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they walk out. And, like, the complexity of this relationship and the sophistication that they're trying to emulate, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just not there. Yeah. It's it's rubish. It's sophomoric. Yeah. So they go see Vagiant and it fits better. Yeah. It's clever. It's witty. Mm-hmm. And I think that in that moment, Mark Webb really has sort of dialed in the charm of this film. Yeah. It's so smart, Jesse. No, yeah, it's it, it's it's really great. So from Vagiant, uh, which is day 191, we go to 314, which is the French, the French film piece you were talking about, mm-hmm. the Persona and Ingmar Bergman deal. And then the next one is day 321. Okay, so on day 321, mm-hmm. at Tom's job, he gets called into his boss's office, played by Clark Gregg, right? That's yes, exactly. Coulson, yeah. Agent Coulson. There you go. <laughs> and he thinks he's going to get canned because he hasn't produced any new cards. Mm-hmm. He says, no, no, I'm not going to fire you, Hanson. You're one of the good ones. Mm -hmm. But I've found an area in the greeting card business that's really well suited for you. Death, dying, funerals, misery, sympathy. This is what you're all about. And there's a great card, right? Go ahead. Go. I got to say it. He came to this conclusion because Tom's output at this point has been roses are red, violets are blue. Fuck Fuck you, you whore. What? Gosh, uh, that'd be that'd be great. I want to find that card. That'd be a great joke gift to give to somebody. <laughs> sure would be. But no, yeah, he's like trying to like find that angle, and you know, this is kind of you know, Tom is kind of on the skids with this job too, and he really lets him have it. Okay, yes, he does. Mm-hmm. So he managed to sort of limp along a little bit more, oh. and then we go to day one sixty seven. Mm-hmm. This is about the last happy moment we're going to get for Tom till the end of the film. And what it is, is is the same bit at this greeting card at Hallmark Mm -hmm. where he's just killing it at work. He is smitten with summer. Things are going peachy. And he's filling other people's quotas. He's helping this person out. He's given tokens of genius for greeting cards. Yes. Uh, The the Ten Commandments of greeting card, he's writing every day, every five minutes. Just killing it. So again, we see Mark Webb. Showing the negative and the positive back to back to mm-hmm. see the progression between yep. the characters. Okay, so the next day is three twenty-two, mm-hmm. and that goes back to the bit on the bus when he talks about the heart sli- heart-shaped splotch on her neck, the Patrick Swayze song, and it's it's the opposite. It's like I hate that had that heart-shaped pl- uh, birthmark. I hate the way she smiles. I hate how she sleeps. Like I hate, her knobby knees. Yeah, I hate I hate everything. I it, hate the song. Yeah, it's a perfect parallel to you know earlier when it was just like smitten. Right. So he gets kicked off the bus. Mm-hmm. So again, same thing. Mark Webb doing a good job bookending mm-hmm. the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so I guess he's been kicked off the bus, and then we go to... That's day 322? Yeah. Yep. So then we go to date 345. So on day 345, he's been set up on a blind date with one of his friend's mm-hmm. girlfriends. Yeah. It doesn't go well. Yeah. But she's really important in this movie because she puts him on blast. Yep. They sit at that diner, and all he can do the whole time... and. You know, this date is the date from hell for her. Because yeah. all he wants to do is just cry on her shoulder about his ex. <laughs> yes. And he's crying and complaining. And she says, look, did she ever cheat on you? Mm-hmm. No. Did she ever? No, no, no. So, like, she says, why are you being such a baby about this? Mm-hmm. She did exactly what she said she was going to do. And then he goes, I've got a great idea. Karaoke. Yeah. So they go in karaoke, and he's singing Train in Vain by The Clash, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. And she just finally walks out, and his 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 final goodbye to her on this blind date that's really gone south is, "Go ahead, you don't look anything like Summer anyway. Yeah. She didn't have red hair." Yeah, he's having a hard time, you know, shaking the Summer effect. Yep, that it's it's left on him. And the Summer effects actually talked about earlier in the film uh, at the beginning, like when Summer worked at like the Tasty Freeze. That's not the restaurant she worked at, but they saw a two percent like increase in revenue during her tenure there. And when she gets on the bus, it gets eighteen point five glan- uh, side glances a day. Like almost made the band Bell and Sebastian relevant. And right? <laughs> there's an obvious effect by her persona, right? So you know, yeah, that's it's it's all great. Yeah, I love that scene. Yeah, yeah, go leave. Like you don't even look like her anyway. <laughs> you don't look anything like her. Yeah. Okay, so Tom's in the middle of it and still not going well. Yeah. Okay, jump ahead to day 402. This is a big point in the movie, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. this is Millie's wedding. So Millie is the gal whose engagement was where Tom and Summer sort of broke the ice. Day 11. So the, Yeah, good. So mm-hmm. this is the culminating event between Millie and her husband getting married. Yep. He's still working for Vance at Hallmark, which yeah. is his boss's name. Yep. He gets on the train, and who's there? Summer. Summer. Mm-hmm. And he tries to be like, oh, she didn't see me, and I didn't see her. I got to tell you real quick, this is absolutely poison for a man that, like, you're kind of like trying to make strides to distance like this heartbreak and move on with your life. And maybe this wedding, this is an opportunity. His friend tells him like, yeah, just go like, like hook up with someone like they're at the wedding. Some hot granddaughters. Yeah. Who cares? And this is absolute poison because it just brings you like, I got to quote Godfather three. I can't believe I'm doing this, but just when you think you're out, they pull you right back in. And that's what this is for Tom. This is dangerous. This is a bad scene for Tom. (laughs) It is. So she rolls up on him in the train, and they start to have a really nice weekend together. Mm-hmm. Share a few cups of coffee, get dressed up. They go to the wedding together. Have the shtick where she tries to get him to yell the word penis in a crowd, which has kind of been like sort of nomenclature for their relationship in yeah. a lot of different ways, but yeah. like sort of a gag. Yep. They dance. They're playing with the kids at the table, playing Duck, Duck, Goose. Mm-hmm. And then on the train ride home, mm-hmm. it's been a really nice place wedding they've had a nice time together she falls asleep on him and he's back in the middle oh of it. it's so dangerous it's, it's, it's just it hurts me to just kind of think and so again tom who's so fragile with his definition of love it instantly thinks well this is my second chance i'm gonna make it happen yep and then in probably the most brilliant scene of the entire film you know mark webb at this point has kind of shown you like the the, the negative and the positive like kind of like one and then the other now we get both at the same time, which is Summer's invited him to this this uh, party that she's having on her rooftop garden. And we get Tom's expectations of how that's going to play out and the reality of how it plays out. Yeah. And they're so drastically different. His version is, oh, it's only us talking together, us this, I'm staying the night, we're going to make out, we're going to make love again, this and that. But how it really plays out, he's kind of just like on the side. 
yeah, they share a conversation, but he's just kind of there, like a part among the masses. At this point, Mark Webb is really proving what a master mm-hmm. of this story he is. He mm-hmm. is in complete control because remember before all that happens, which is right. Mm-hmm. He gives you the testimonial scene with mm-hmm. Clark Gregg and all four of those five of those people in the black and white um, sequences talking about what love is. Mm-hmm. And his one friend gives this great line and he says, you know, if I could pick the woman of my dream, she'd probably have a bodacious rack, be a bit more into sports. Um, but the truth is, I'll take my girlfriend, Robin, mm-hmm. because she's real. Mm-hmm. So we get a bunch of snapshots and a testimonial. Again, the fourth wall mm-hmm. comes down. And we get to Tom, and he's just standing there, and the camera's on him. And like the question is, what is true love to you, or something like that. Yeah. And he's got nothing. Mm-hmm. So we get a minute to catch our breath, because the next sequence, which you just said, mm-hmm. is going to come pretty hard. And it's a pretty, pretty heavy blow he takes. Yeah, and I, I don't think I've seen split screen done this well since Brian De Palma. Like, Dude, fair, right. Yeah, like I haven't, it's not a, a trick that filmmakers use, but it's so brilliantly used here. Yeah. And kind of the crux when we kind of see it like when we see reality just dissolve into expectation is when Summer's kind of showing off like an engagement ring it yeah. looks like. And he's just got to get out of Dodge at that point. He just he can't deal with that because this is this is the end for him with this. There's no road back into Summer Finn at this point. That whole sequence, this whole split scene sequence, this whole down with the fourth wall ends with one of the best moments in all of film ever okay so he sees summer showing off her ring to her girlfriends essentially he freaks out and runs out of her apartment Mm -hmm. into the street in a very architectural design way Mm -hmm. the entire sequence behind him is erased and he's left standing as a black and white penciled image Mm -hmm. on a semi-erased piece of paper yeah literally there is nothing left for tom I think that is so, so fantastically delivered. Yeah. I love that bit in that film. It's great. Testimonial, split sequence, or split screen, Mm -hmm. uh, reality expectations, heavy, heavy dose of like some sad music, and then he walks out and the whole thing just gets erased, which is, oh, Jesse, it's just, he's in complete control of what he wants the viewer to see and knows exactly Mm -hmm. the message that he wants. Exactly. And then we go from that to, I think him quitting his job at this point, which he lets everybody have it at this point. We're like, what are we doing here? Yeah. I think there's like two days of him laying in bed, like drinking. Yeah. And then we go to day 442, which is Mm -hmm. what you're talking about. He's just like, what are we doing here at this place? Like, we're you know, we're not giving people the, the means to express themselves. Like people should be able to say how they feel. Like we're doing a disservice to them. Like no, offense but like that's bullshit (laughs) and his goes for it it's a dead cat yeah exactly yeah he really lets them have it but i think you know this is the first signs of maturation for tom too to kind of realize you know with summer gone my only hope now is to i gotta i gotta shed this too because it's not the same being here without her and we also see the first emanation of one of summer's gifts Mm -hmm. when he leaves that uh, card store, card, Hallmark. Yeah. The sign behind him says 75 years and strong. Mm-hmm. And as he walks out, he's leaving what could potentially be the next 75 years of his life, mm-hmm. leaving it behind yeah. in the dust with unfulfillment and unsatisfaction and these bullshit greeting cards. Yes. Yeah. So subtle. Mm-hmm. Subtle. We've talked about this in so many, whether it's sex or horror or yeah. lighting, mm-hmm. right? It's subtle is so good. Yeah. And 75 years on that little 
parchment as he walks out of Hallmark Light. Yeah. That says 75 years and still going strong. Yeah. And he leaves it behind him. Man, that speaks so loudly to me. That's great. And it's the subtlety that's like, Jesus Christ, like Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's like there's none of these elements are like in play in that film. He didn't, I don't, did he make the movie? Like, I know. I, it's hard to believe, really. It's like night and day. It really is. It, and your frustration that yeah. I sit there and we did when we did Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. I just couldn't believe it was the same guy. Yeah. I haven't seen 500 Days of Summer. It's been at least maybe four years since I sat down and watched it. Yeah. And then maybe probably another like four or five years since I first saw it. I was I had a great time watching it because I saw how you know, in tune Mark Webb was with his manipulation of the characters and, and this story and, you know, how in tune the writers were of the placement of these scenes yeah. that in this order elicit an emotional response, which at the end of the day, for me, film, I want an emotional response, whether you're going to horrify me or, you know, excite me or, you know, give me goosebumps from something exciting. That's what I want out of films. And seeing a film in this sequence, it does that for me. So for it, sure, it's that it really it really works on that element. So then, okay, so we get from this point forward to, like, Tom having to resurrect himself. Mm -hmm. And in a scene that's sort of similar to what you're talking about, Apocalypse Now, yeah. we get him laying in bed, pounding a tennis ball on the ground. The backbeat in that song, which is Vagabond by Wolfmother, is exactly in time with the tennis ball. And we go into, I like montages, a really fantastic montage. This was in consideration for the question you asked me okay. in the flight, okay, but it didn't win. We see Tom putting together a portfolio and going out into big boy life to try to get a job as an architect. And it's scored to this music that is perfect for this scene. Mm -hmm. And we see him with all of the names of all the architectural firms on his uh, chalkboard. One by one, he's drawn a line through them. He's got no more options. So what does he do? He breaks it down even further. And he gets back to what he mostly loves, which we've seen him do a little mm -hmm. bit in this movie, mm -hmm. which is draw, get back to the construction and the creation of buildings. Yeah, he's got to essentially build his life up again from the ground up. Right. So we go through all of that. And we have another split screen at this moment, which mm -hmm. is John, which is Tom's pursuit of a job. Mm -hmm. And ready? Some are trying on a wedding dress? Mm -hmm. Wait a minute, what? Yeah. Okay, so then cut to day 488, which is the day that we started off with. Yep. So, you know, it's all really good. You know, they have this spot here overlooking, what's it again? Angeles Plaza. Yeah. They're in Los Angeles, and, you know, it's it's a place Tom likes. It's kind of, you know, it's drawn a lot of architectural inspiration from him. That Except like, for the parking structures. Except for the parking structures and the parking lots. But he's there because it's like, it's almost like his Fortress of Solitude. Yeah. And there's Summer there who's kind of like, you know, you know, spotted them out. And, then, and here they come to the bench to have a very, you know, the first stages of that eloquent scene that we started the film with. And go ahead and hit him with what, what, what she gives it. She gives him some tough lines because he says, you know, what's really tough is like destiny, soulmates, true love and all that childhood nonsense. And she says, no, Tom, mm -hmm. like when I met him, mm -hmm. I was in a cafe reading Dorian Gray and a guy comes up to me and asks me about it. And now he's my husband. Mm -hmm. And all I could do was think about you and think about how you were right. And then he goes... What do you mean? What that's what I don't get. What do you mean you just knew? She says, "I just woke up one day and I knew." I and he says, "Knew what?" 
what I never was sure of with you. Mm-hmm. And it is like the guillotine coming down on his yeah, little that's love got, broken heart. Yeah, that's, that would kill anybody. Like, Jesus, like, you were so unsure with me, but then you, like, found it, like, right away with this person. And he gives her a look, and you can feel him just drop, and there's a tinny piano playing in the background to, like, make sure that you know that this is a sad moment in yeah, the film. If you, can, of... if you can't already tell. And then she says, the truth is, you were right, Tom. Yeah. It just wasn't me you were right about. And although that line is tough, Mm -hmm. it's really necessary for him to hear it because it lets him free. Yeah. And it's good for both of them. Like at this point, he's able to move on with his life and this pursuit of architecture. But it's also opened up Summer's idea of what love can be. And, you know, if they've been going in opposite directions the whole time, they've done, like you said earlier, they've done wonders for each other in the long run. Like mature Tom, Tell Summer what love can be all about. It may not be with each other, but you're going to be better people because of that experience as you shared there. That's a tough scene in the in the thing. It's, it's making me kind of sad just thinking about it. Like I think Summer has to show an element of courage to tell him those things. Mm-hmm. It's the cutting of ties. And like, you know, I, I always like to play kind of devil's advocate with like, well, how did that play out like past the film? They probably never saw each other ever again after that. No, and I think he's probably okay with it. They give each yeah. other the parting shot. You look nice. I wish you the best. Good luck. This, that, the mm-hmm. other thing. And then we cut to a nice moment, which is Tom going for another job interview. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's probably like architecture firm, like number like 25 at this point. And he's like really hoping that he can get one. And Day 499 or maybe by day 500, I think. Yeah. And it's this girl there. Mika Kelly, by the way. Mm-hmm. And it's it's this is an interesting t- scene too because... You know, Tom's not necessarily like, um, you know, looking for someone right. like he was for Summer. Right. So he's like a different person at this point and then kind of saying, oh, yeah, I'm here to interview. Well, he's like, well, I hope you don't get the job. Well, I hope you don't get the job. Yeah, exactly. So there's some nice playful banter there. And, you know, it's so dangerous. This is how, you know, fate plays its hand in such an interesting way. He decides to go back and say, hey, after all this, is you, would you like to grab a coffee? And and she says no at first. And, She's supposedly meeting somebody. And this is the best moment of the movie. Where, and, and you can really kind of tell Tom's arc is complete at this moment right here is he says, oh, okay, like, that's that's okay. And he's he's ready to leave. He was about to get infatuated with this one, and, but he's okay to say this isn't going to work. And I'm okay with, like, not, like, going down that road. Yeah. But then she says... You know what? Let's let's do that coffee. I, I can push some things around. And he, he uh, perfect closing line. He says he's like, "My name's Tom. Like, what's your name?" And she says, "Autumn." Oh. And it's he just kind of again breaking the fourth wall. Looks directly at the camera and kind of gives a wry smile. And we close our film. So the name Autumn is interesting, right? Because it's like, oh, cute summer and autumn. Yeah, but it also shows. How close he was with Summer, mm-hmm. but not quite right. Yeah. Here's the other thing, too. He's smitten with Summer mm-hmm. over <laughs> her eavesdropping on his headphones on a Smith song. Mm-hmm. Something with very little depth. It's mm-hmm. pretty shallow. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the serendipitous moment of him meeting her and what's going to be... And he's going to get that job, isn't he? Yeah. Of course he is. Mm-hmm. What's going to be his path going forward, his profession? Yeah. There's more depth to that. Mm-hmm. And so all of the lessons that he learned with Summer... And she telling him it just wasn't me you were right about yeah. is ringing true right now. And mm. in with Autumn, yeah. it has rung true. Like it's based 
in something that they share that's more important than a sad ass Smith song. Yeah. Like what's what's what are you gonna play in your third anniversary, girlfriend in a coma? Yeah. Right? Come mm-hmm. on. This is something that matters. That's great. And I love that the film ends like right here. And like, we go to the title cards mm-hmm. and it's day one with a bright sun yeah. rising up over a tree and it starts to like have leaves on it. Yeah. My favorite season actually. Autumn. Yeah. yeah. So excellent! Like this has been a great discussion on on this film. I to Autumn then, yeah, to Autumn and to Mark Webb. Like I can't believe. Like I want to see him do a film like this again. Like this seems to kind of be his wheel and his and his niche. Maybe not the maybe not the right guy for Spider Man, but yeah, go, <laughs> go listen to that other episode. It was a shit show. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now more time than ever, we'll give our listeners a quick breakdown of our rating scale. So our ratings are Rot Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Again, thinking with the bourbon and the and the uh, the spirit theme. Matt, how are you going to rate Five Hundred Days of Summer? Oh, this is easy for me. Mm-hmm. It's clever. It's in a genre that's probably not a chosen genre of preference for me, which would be rom-com or romance. Uh, This is top shelf. This is close. Mm -hmm. And depending on the time when you ask me, this is one of the all-timers, like top 10, top 5. This is one of them for me. Yeah. So, again, I'm coming in with a biased point of view. Mm Mm-hmm. Regardless, yeah, that's what this is about. It is about bias. Sure, yeah, no, yeah. I love it. It's well acted. There's not a chagrin moment in there. It's infinitely rewatchable. It's smart. It's soulful. It's pretty. It's pretty fucking perfect, dude. Yeah, yeah. Top shelf for me, no question. No, no, no quite not like yeah, maybe no. It's top shelf, no question. What's also great about you know like the romantic comedy genre is like kind of like biased in of itself. That like a lot of them, you know, it's for like. They're for, they're for women and they're for women to take their dates to and there's not a lot for the men. You know, there's a lot for for men here in this film, which oh, yeah. is it's it's probably why I like it so much too. And you know, for those that haven't seen it, are like, oh, Jesse likes that film. Like, like I th- you need to see it first because it, it speaks to you on on levels and things that as men we've all been through. We've been through the heartbreak. We've been through the courting. We've been through this arduous process that is love. It, it, that's that's a heavy-handed topic that you know we all go through. Right. So I think there's a lot to relate to in that film. You know, I saw this. I think I saw it in twenty at the end of twenty ten. So I think it was maybe you know a, a, a few months or a year old at that point. I was I was kind of in a bit of a Joseph Gordon Levitt resurgence, and I was like, he had just done Inception that summer, and I was like, this is the kid from Third Rock from the Sun, mm-hmm. and then he had done all these other movies in between that, and this was one of them. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't seen Brick, by the way, you need to see Brick. That's oh, just yeah. just my little shout out there. Oh yeah. But and then past that, you know, I'm I'm a real fan of the fan of the guy, you know, Don John, you know his you know his work, you know he's direct he directed that movie, but by, by all means. So it's a tragically underrated film. Yeah, I love it. So th- this kind of hit me, and I was like, you know what? That was that was actually a really good movie, really well written. I think we're underplaying how really great the screenplay of this film is, which is its ability to talk directly to the audience, talk directly to you know you know their own shout outs, how the characters are feeling, and its pacing is just absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So yeah. you know, with that, you know, I won't go as high. I think I've only give given one top shelf rating on on our episodes, and that was Alien. And you know that that's a different thing, but I think I'm gonna go at a at a single barrel here. I I really like this movie. It's it's really unique in the terms of the romantic comedy genre. If you haven't seen it, please seek it out. 
Um, I won't go as high as as top shelf, but that's not that's you know that's not you know a knock against that. The, the, yeah. the film is is really flawless. Yes, and you know there's a lot to like from it. So if you haven't seen it, please seek it out. You will not be disappointed. Right. So before we leave you today, as always, we will uh, head off with you know one more uh, for the road, a nightcap. And, you know, being that, you know, this is kind of a cask about bad relationships and breakups and just toxic, you know, situations as we're going to get into. We um, wanted to kind of cover, you know, you know, we're talking about music in the in the flight. Yeah. So why not uh, end with music? So sure. there's a lot of great breakup songs out there. So, Matt, what would your, you know, favorite breakup song be? Anything by Taylor Swift? <laughs> That's because it's everything she does everything <laughs> yeah for this to fit in this category it has to be a level of personal sure and so that's a story that i'm not going to tell on a podcast <laughs> yeah but there's a band up there called the helio sequence okay and the song is called lately uh that would be it for me um if you have apple music or what spotify or wherever you're at check it out the Helio sequence are merely a blip on American music's <laughs> radar screen, but lately is absolutely brilliant. And also kind of like this film, it's really smart. It's not just like boohoo, you're gone. Yeah. You know, I mean, I could do like, since you've been gone by, you know, rainbow, if I want to do that. Yeah, sure. Which I love that song too. Yeah. But no, lately by the Helio sequence is my number one. And maybe someday that's a story for our listeners, but probably never. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, need, you don't even need to tell me that one. <laughs> there's one There's one, There's one. one listener that'll understand. What that's there, you, there you go. Yeah. Uh, mine is going to be, yeah, again, this, this is a very interesting topic, but, you know, there's so many good ones out there. But the one I really landed on, it's an artist I really like, and I think he's criminally underrated too, and it's Without You by Harry Nielsen. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, if you prefer that one, he also did the Spanish version of that song called Si No Estas Tu. <laughs> it's the same song, but he did it in Spanish and he's good at it too. Like it sounds great, but I can't live if living is without you. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the way he just belts it out, you know, between that and everybody's talking and, you know, uh, one is the loneliest number, you know, he had a great, you know, song, you know, uh, discography. So I got to pick that one, but a close second is, and I'm not going to pick the original version. Um, it's uh, No One Compares to You, but if you haven't heard it, there's a recent uh, cover version of done by Chris Cornell, of all people. It's great. Pull it up on Spotify. Like, you know, Chris Cornell's unique vocals really bring that song to life. And, you know, a song originally ri- written by Prince that a lot of people probably don't know that you know that's you know you know you you equate Sinead O'Connor with that song but Prince wrote the song and you know while we're at it you know cheers to Prince Rogers Nelson and Chris Cornell yeah Yeah, may they rest in peace like those are some great musicians with some great vocals and you know that was a close second for me because you know the lyrics of that one everyone everyone's heard that one before yeah so th- those are the ones I'll pick. I've never used them in any specific instance, but when I equate like a breakup, those are the, the ones that really kind of like hit pretty heavy for me. So yeah. there you have it. Good. Excellent. Well, this has been a great episode. Uh, it's been fun talking about 500 Days of Summer. It was a treat to watch it for the first time. Uh, it was a treat to revisit it. If you haven't seen it, 
It's currently not on any streaming sites, but get on Amazon and go buy that movie because it's worth adding to your library. Yeah, I think you can rent it for three ninety nine. It's ninety minutes. Yeah, it's quick in, quick out, mm-hmm. and you won't regret a single moment of it. Excellent. So, Matt, what's coming next week? Okay, so we're going to continue with the uh, love is spelled with an X kind of cask. And I think we both have sort of alluded to what's coming. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go way back to what I think is the epitome of the anti-hero film. Mm-hmm. And it's The Graduate. Yeah. 1967. Dustin Hoffman, Mike Nichols, Anne Bancroft. Soundtrack by Simon. And again, we're going to be talking about music again next week. Maybe the best musical soundtrack ever committed to film. I think the flight's going to be a bit different next week because we're going to give the listeners a bit of insight into you and I, aren't oh, we? Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. There, there, you had that coming to you. Right. But yeah, I can't wait to talk about The Graduate. An equally important movie. And it's one of, you know, five movies that really changed my life. And Ditto. yes. Yeah, so I can't wait to talk about that. So, so until- it's probably not going to be Rock Cut. <laughs> probably won't be Rock Cut. <laughs> so until next week, cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. We got to be going. It's all you can karaoke at the local bar. I want to go sing some Train in Vain. I don't know about you. I think I'm going to bust out Brandy by Looking Glass. Excellent. We'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, TuneIn, or leave us an email at risemileproductions at gmail.com. 500 Days of Summer is property of Dune Entertainment and Fox Searchlight Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. The reason I'm asking is lately your work performance has been a little off. I'm not following Okay, um, here's something that you wrote last week. Uh, Roses are red, violets are blue. Fuck you, whore.